say, this is God's word. Come on, say it like you mean it. This is God's word. Not Pastor Evans' word. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Father, we thank you for this time that we have together to fellowship around your word. We thank you that your word is life-giving. Your word encourages us. Your word challenges us. Most of all, your word informs us of all the promises of God that are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ today. Thank you that he obeyed your call for his life, and that is to die for each and every one of us. This morning, we thank you for the life, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it's because of him and what he has done that we're all here today. We pray that you will speak to our hearts through your word and by your spirit. I thank you that I, as I have decreased, your anointing is here and present to teach, to guide, to govern your people. That when we leave this place, we'll be thankful at all times what Jesus did for us. So we give you thanks. We give you praise. We thank you for signs, wonders, and miracles following your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Today we recognize and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer in Jesus, say, I'm a believer. believer. Come on, say it like you mean it, I'm a believer. When Jesus shed his blood for mankind, it provided many benefits for those who believe. One of the main benefits is for us to have connection to God and confidence towards God. I want you to say this with me. Say connection to God and confidence towards God. Amen. And many believers do not walk in consistent confidence towards God because they do not understand the power of Jesus' blood and what that blood did in their lives. The goal of today's message is to provide you with an undeniable biblical truth of why and how we should have boldness and confidence in the promises of God. So our lesson this morning is entitled, Boldness Through the Blood. Boldness through the blood. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And it's going to take me a little while to find my Bible today because I left my preaching Bible on the airplane. I'm going to find that Bible though. 1 John chapter, chapter 3. And here's the first point I want to make this morning. Jesus' main purpose for dying was to destroy the works of sin and Satan and restore man's position and power. I'm going to say it again. The purpose of Jesus dying was to destroy the works of sin and Satan. Say sin Sin. and Satan. And then he wanted to restore man's position and man's power. 
So 1 John chapter 3, if you're there, say I'm there. Listen to what it says. He that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose. What purpose are we talking about? The purpose of sin. Watch what it says. For the purpose of sin, the son of God was manifested. That he might do what class? Okay, y'all kind of weak this morning. Might what? Come on, say it like you mean it. That he might destroy the works of who? The devil. So one of, the, of Jesus' main purposes was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, one of the weapons of the devil is to cause Christians to walk in condemnation. And you cannot walk in confidence towards God and confidence in the promises of God if you're walking in condemnation. And so one of the things I'm going to point out to you today, when you walk out of here, you're going to have more confidence in God and the blood that Jesus shed for you than you ever have before. Because once you have confidence towards God, the promises of God are going to flow into your lives. Now, this is interesting. Everything God created has purpose to it. And the Jesus purpose was to die, but it was also to connect and restore us back to God. And so if you don't understand your purpose in life, you can't fulfill it. So my question is, what would have happened if Jesus didn't know his purpose? Now, can I explain something to you? If Jesus would not have known his purpose, we would have no need to sit here this morning. So guess what? If Jesus' purpose in life was that important, how much more is your purpose in life that important? So guess what? That's why you have to stay connected to God through Christ so that you can eventually understand your purpose. And there's purpose for everything. Amen. There's purpose for butterflies. I'm not sure what they are other than they look good. There are purpose for rats. I'm not sure what they are. Maybe to feed bull constrictors, I guess, snakes or whatever. There are purpose for coins on your feet. So, what are coins on my feet? What's a what's the purpose of coins? The purpose is to remind you not to wear those shoes no more. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Turn to Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two. Adam's disconnection created the need for Jesus's reconnection. I'm gonna say it again. Adam's disconnection created the need for Jesus's reconnection. Now, some of this, the first part of this is kind of like me just laying the groundwork because some people, you know, everybody don't come to church. See, this is what I like about Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter, and funerals too. I like funerals. I do. Because I get to preach to people that ain't never at church. Some of my high salvation times when people got saved is at funerals. Amen. It's a captured audience. You got to be there. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 3, look in verse 7. Now, let me just break it down and just explain the story. This is where God had told Adam to not eat of the fruit. Now, let's go in verse 15. I'm sorry. Go to Genesis 2, 15. Genesis 2, 15. Now, watch this. It says, and the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to dress it and keep it. In other words, Adam had a job before he had a wife. <laughs> I should have got a whole lot of amens from the ladies. Amen. Don't let that man walk around and not work. 
If he don't have a job, when you meet him, tell him when he gets one to call you. <laughs> I just threw that in for free right there. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you, shall, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day you eat it, what's going to happen? So let me ask you a question. When is he going to die when he eats the fruit? What does it say in the Bible? He says, in the day that you eat it, you're going to die. So here's my question. When was Adam or Eve or both of them supposed to die if they were to eat the fruit? The day that they ate it. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, you are so smart. Amen. Now watch this. Look in chapter 3 now and let's look in verse 7. They ate the fruit. They did. Now listen, don't get mad at Adam and Eve. You know, I used to say, you know what, when I get up to heaven, I'm going to ask them, why in the world did you do that? But you would have done it. How many done something you wasn't supposed to do before? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you are going to hell. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're not going to hell. You're just lying, but you're not going to go to hell, all right? Okay, watch this. It says, and the eyes of them both were open after they ate the fruit. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves what? Aprons. You know why? Because sin causes cover-up and fear, always. Watch verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife, what did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now, I wonder why did they hide themselves? They hid themselves because sin causes fear. But watch the next verse. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Adam, where are you? Now, I covered this before, but just so I can throw this in for those who may not understand, God knows everything. He's all-knowing. And if he's all-knowing, why would he ask him, where are you? Do you think God knows where you are right now? Absolutely. So this was not really a question of God wondering where is Adam because he knew where Adam was. But let me tell you what happened. Let me ask you a question. If he's talking to Adam and Adam hid himself, that means Adam was still alive. Okay, if Adam was still alive, he didn't die. But what did God tell him he was going to do when he ate the fruit? He was going to die. So it's obvious he could not have died physically because he's still alive. So my question to you is, what other area in his life do you think died? Spiritually. So guess what? When God started calling Adam, he was calling Adam in the spirit. See, God didn't have to talk. See how I'm hearing y'all? Y'all hearing me through your natural ear? That's not how God speaks to you normally or he can But that's not normally how he speaks to you. And when he was speaking to Adam, the spirit of God was inside Adam. And that's how he was speaking to Adam. He didn't have to speak from external. He was speaking from internal. And so guess what? As he was speaking to Adam in the spirit, Adam didn't hear him. You know why Adam didn't hear him? Because Adam had messed up and it removed him from the presence of God. So God is calling Adam in the spirit. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Finally, he's like, okay. So now, Adam was afraid because he heard the voice of God from the outside now. Not from the inside. So in verse 9, it says, And the Lord God called Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. Now, guess what? 
I wanted you to see that sin causes cover-up. Now watch this now. If you look at the next verse, go down now in verse, uh, I'm going to jump down. And let's look now in verse 19. Well, let's, let's go back up. Let's look at now in verse 16. Let's look in verse 17. And Adam said, uh, and unto Adam, he said, uh, because you have hearkened to the voice of your wife and had eaten of the tree, which I've commanded you, saying you shall not eat it, curses the ground. Notice he didn't curse Adam. He cursed the ground. Then he goes on to say, uh, verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins. And what did he do? He clothed them. Now, I want you to know that in the verses previous to that, Adam and Eve, they put fig leaves on them. Now, my question is, what, why weren't those fig trees good enough? It was still covering them up. But you can't cover up sin your way. Sin can only be covered up God's way. And so what God did, he put them some skins around them. Well, what happened to the animal that he used for the skin? Hello, somebody. The, the, the animal had to die. That's our first record right there of an animal sacrifice. That's a type of Jesus right there. The Bible says now that Jesus died for our sins. He had to, he had to shed his blood. With, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So this is the first place in the Bible that we see that God sh- blood was shed to cover up their sins. But here's what's interesting about the whole thing. Had not God covered up or gave them a proper covering, they would still be afraid. See, this is why you need Christ in your life. Because without a proper covering and removal of sin, you'll walk around in fear of God. Because it wasn't until he properly covered them and that blood was shed, they had confidence towards God. Now watch this. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now I'm getting getting ready to jump into the the meat of what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, here's the point I want to make. Jesus' blood reconnected mankind with God. Jesus' blood reconnected mankind with God. And that's why it is so difficult for good people, moral people, who don't cuss, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't do anything like that. It's hard for them to understand why they say God will send them to hell since they're good people. It ain't about God sending them to hell. It's about them not having the sins that they were born with. Removed from their life. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, if you're taking notes, you can write down verse, uh, look in verse 12. Ephesians 2, 12. Watch this now. It says that at, at the time you were without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's how it is for people who are not saved. They are aliens from the promises of God. In other words, God has made promises to people, but you can only get those promises if you're lined up with how he does things. Look in verse 13. But now, when? When? Now. Now, in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. So listen, the blood of Jesus caused me to now be close to God. That's why you don't need a priest anymore to go into the holiest of holies and and, and offer up a sacrifice for your sins. You don't need a priest for that anymore. Guess what? You don't need anybody else now to pray for you technically 
for anything other than you. The Bible didn't say for me to go bring my, my sins into a priest and, and, and ask them to ask God for my forgiveness. Now, I know I'm stepping on some toes right now. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor. I don't know whose toes he's on, but I hope they're not yours. Okay. I'm going to walk real lightly on that one. Go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. Matthew 27. The day that Jesus died, there was a middle wall dividing man from God. Did you know there was a, a, a wall? There was a wall up. The Bible calls it a middle wall, a partition. There was a partition between man and God, and it separated God and man. But when Jesus died and he shed his blood, something happened. Look in Matthew 27. Let's look in verse 50. Now, this is when he had died on the cross. He was actually on the cross dying. And in verse 50, he says, Jesus, when he cried again, a loud voice, he gave up the ghost. And went and behold, the veil of the temple was rent. Now stop. Let me just explain this real quick. I'm not going to give you a, 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 a real deep history lesson, but let me just say this to you. In the Old Testament, they built a tabernacle. In that tabernacle were levels of God's presence. Okay, so the first level, you know, they say, you know that song we sing, in his gates with thanksgiving, into his court with praise. Whatever, the levels. And so the first one is where, you know, they just washed their hand, did all that stuff. Then they had a second presence. And then there was a veil that the, that the high priest would go behind to make sure now he would offer up the sacrifices for the sins of the people. And he would wear a rope on his, on his ankle. And just in case he had sin in his life and he died while he was in there, Offering sins up for the people, they would just pull the rope and pull him out. Because you can't go in the presence with some sin in your life. So just in case he died, they, and you know, he used to wear a, 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 a gown and it had bells under the bottom. So the bells would be shaking. As long as you heard the bells shaking, everything was good. Those bells stopped shaking. Because you couldn't go in there and get him. Because if you went in there and got him, you in trouble. Well... This big veil that was in the temple that the priest used to go behind. Look in verse 51. It says, and behold, the veil of the temple, it was torn in two. Here's the important part I want you to see. From the what? From the top to the what? How did that happen? A man could not have torn it because it would have been torn from the bottom to the top. But this veil was torn from the top. To the bottom, helping us see that God himself tore the, tore the veil. In other words, God was saying, I want now my people to be able to come boldly to me on their own. And so when Jesus died, that veil was torn in half from the top to the bottom. Do you see that? Now go over to John chapter 3. Well, you don't have to turn there. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 very quickly. Jesus' physical death created for us spiritual life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that what? Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the physical death of Jesus Christ created for us spiritual life. Now, Romans chapter 6. Are you there? Okay, now I'm about to get a little deep, but I'm not going to go too deep. Okay, because I know there are some people here that, 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 that haven't been here in a while. <laughs> I'm just messing with y'all. All right, okay, okay, okay. Romans 6, 23. All right, watch this now. Physical death was introduced into the world through sin, and the author of sin is Satan. 
Now, I'm about to share something about dying that most of y'all probably don't know. And if you do know, I need you to get a different perspective on it. Watch this now. Uh, Romans 6.23, watch what it says. It says, for the wages or the payment of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. How? Through Christ Jesus. So Jesus paid the penalty for sin. That way he gave us a right to have eternal life. Do you see that in that verse? Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to share something with you about death that most people don't understand. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 22. 1 Corinthians 15. If you take a note, look at verse 22. Now here's what I want to say. So many people have a hard time understanding death to the point where they think God killed their, their, their person. Have you heard that before? Yes. You know, the Lord took mother. <laughs> he, he took grandpa. Well, why would I want to pray to the person that's taking people? Why would I want to trust somebody that's going to kill me? I don't know about y'all, but I don't like walking around people that's going to kill me. Well, here's the thing. We don't understand that death was originated from sin. And sin was originated from Satan. Now, let me show you. I'm going to show you that God don't kill people. Death is God's enemy. Look in 1 Corinthians 15. Look in verse 22. Are you there? Say, I'm there. I'm going to read the whole thing, okay, so I can see the context. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after they that are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he, Jesus, have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. Watch this now. When he, Jesus, shall put down all rule and authority and power. Watch verse 25. For he, Jesus, must reign till he put all enemies under his feet. Watch this now. Verse 26. Read it with me. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is what? So what is death? Death is an enemy. Now, let me ask you a question. See, because I know old school, you know, in the book of Job, people say, well, the Lord give it and the Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. If death, if death is an enemy, why would God kill people? Because God don't kill people. That don't make sense, does it? Okay, so, but I want you to see something because if you don't understand this process right here, it's hard now to, to see death in its right light. Now, here's the good thing. Jesus conquered for us physical death and spiritual death. See, that's why we're not afraid of, to die. You shouldn't be because once you die, guess what? You're right into the presence of God. But if you don't, then Jesus comes back and you're going along with him. So he solved the physical and the spiritual death that we experience. Watch this now. Just because, okay, people say this. Okay. I hear y'all thinking. I hear some of y'all thinking. Some of y'all thinking, well, well, then what caused that car accident that my auntie was in and she loved the Lord and she died? That's a good question, ain't it? Well, let me ask you a question. John 10.10 10 says the thief comes not, steal, kill. Okay, so who kills? The thief. Who's the thief? Jesus. 
the devil. Okay, so watch this now. People say, well, well, here's the thing. Why does good, bad things happen to good people? Why do people die? Why, God saw that car coming. Why didn't God stop the car? Well, let me ask you a question. I, oh, I got y'all. I see. I got you, though. I got y'all this morning. I got you. Oh, Lord, I'm out of time. Sorry, dude. Sorry. I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. Okay. Here's what most people don't understand. God gives everybody a will. Okay? Now, God can, can permit something, but that doesn't mean he's responsible for it. You say, well, what do you mean? God permitted Adam to eat the fruit, but he ain't responsible for what Adam did. I mean, okay, why would I blame God for killing somebody just because it was permitted? Okay, let me, all right, let me throw it in this way then. Let's just say, for instance, I just haul off and slap him. Just slap him. Just, I mean, make his head do like that. You know, just, what if I just slapped him? It's wrong of me to say it's God's fault because God permitted it to happen. No, because God can't control my will. And there are certain things that happen in life that we can't control, but just because we can't control it don't mean we should blame God for it. So why do bad things, happen, good, bad things happen to good people? Because sometimes we may be in the wrong place at the wrong time, but it doesn't matter. Guess what? We still have victory whether we live or die. Okay. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Go to Hebrews 10. I, I, I think I'm going to finish my lesson. If I don't, y'all will have to wonder what I was going to say next when you get home. Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, now here we go. The blood that Jesus shed gives us the right to approach God with boldness and confidence. The blood that Jesus shed gives us the right to walk in the presence of God with boldness and confidence. Watch this now. Hebrews chapter 10, look in verse 19. It says, having therefore, brethren, what's the next word? Boldness to enter into the holiest By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. In other words, verse 19 is saying we have the boldness to enter into the presence of God and it's because of the blood of Jesus. Look now in Hebrews chapter 4. Go to Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4. The throne of God is open for us to approach for help, for favor, with boldness and confidence. In other words, when you go in front of the presence of God, to the throne of God, you have the right now to go with boldness to, to get all the help you need. Watch this now. Hebrews chapter 4, look in verse uh, 16. It says, let us therefore come how? Come on, class. Boldly unto the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find favor or grace to help in the time of need. So guess what? We should have no need in our lives since we have access to the throne of God to meet every one of them. Did you read what it says? It said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace 
try mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So my question to you is, when do you have a time with need in your life? Because whenever you have a need, you should go to the throne. And you should go to the throne with confidence. Now go over now to 1 John. Go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. When you go to God, the word bold there in the Greek is also the word confidence. 1 John chapter 5, look in verse 14. If you're there, say, I'm there. there. Watch this now. It says, and this is the what? That word confidence, when you look it up in the Greek, is the same Greek word bold and boldness. He's saying when you come, he says, this is the confidence or the boldness that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know. We have confidence. We have boldness that we have the petitions which we desired of him. In other words, when you go before God, you got to go with confidence. And here's why most believers do not go to the throne in confidence. You know why they don't? Because they are looking in the rearview mirror of their sins. You cannot walk in confidence towards God and meditate in condemnation at the same time. Now, now let, me, let me give you real quick some, uh, let me write, you can write down this definition. The word confidence means to be outspoken. It means to be, uh, to, uh, to publicize and to be assured. In other words, when you have confidence, there's a certain demeanor you ought to have. Now, I'm not talking about a, a, a demeanor of pride, but I'm talking about a demeanor of confidence that when I go and pray, I don't have to spend 25 minutes just feeling better about myself and what I did. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. The club is probably one of the most emptiest places uh, before Easter Sunday. Y'all ever think about that? You know the club where you dance, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying, I bet that's the emptiest place on a Saturday night. Because I don't never hear them advertising a special night before Easter. You know how you have, you know how the different holidays, they have sales for holidays. You know, we got the president's sale. We got the New Year's sale. Well, I ain't never heard it says, well, we have a club special for Easter. Drinks for free. Come on now, y'all with me? How many was at the club last night? Raise your hand. No, I'm just Let me give you some confidence killers real quick. There are two main confidence killers. One of them is condemnation, and the other one is temptation. Now, go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, look in verse 20. Oh, my goodness. I'm about to get this right here. Boy, you can get this right here. If you can get what I'm about to say right now, the devil won't ride you no more for what you did wrong. Did you hear what I said? If you can get this right here, you will always go before God with confidence. 1 John chapter 3, look in verse 20. It says, for if our heart condemns us. The word condemn means to find fault, to judge ourselves as bad. That's what it means. For if our heart judges us as if we are bad, God is greater than our heart. Did you hear that? Now watch verse 21. I love it. It says, but beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. 
So your confidence can be chiseled away by condemnation. Now go over to Romans chapter 8. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. God is greater than your heart. Mm, 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 mm. I love that. Look at Romans chapter 8. Look in verse 1. Let me show you how to shake off condemnation. It ain't hard at all. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation which are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation is in Christ? None. None. So why is it sometimes I might feel condemned? You know why you feel condemned? Because you don't know what, really what the blood did for you. And you know why else you feel condemned? Because you're allowing your mind and your eyes to meditate and look through the rearview mirror of your past mistakes. It says here, there is now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. This is what causes condemnation right here. But it shouldn't. Who walk not after the flesh, but what? So do y'all see, y'all think I'd be making up these levels, but do y'all see those levels right there? First he said the spirit or the flesh, but then he said we got to walk in the spirit. Then what was the next thing? He said to not walk in the what? Flesh. And then you have the next level. What's the next level, class? Devil level. Spirit. Flesh. You say, well, what's the difference? That's the difference now. See, when you just walk into the flesh, that's just your way. You know, it's just, that's just your, your, your irritations and your, your, your stuff. You know, that mind, that's selfishness. That's, 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 that's uh, walking in unforgiveness. That's flesh, you know. That's flesh. But when you walk in devil level, that's when you do stuff that is just out of character for you. That's like throwing coffee on people at Starbucks. <laughs> that's what that is. How many know what I'm talking about? How many heard the Starbucks story? How many did not hear the Starbucks story? Let me see. Ooh. I don't have time. How many want to hear the story? Let me see here. Okay. How many don't give a flip and ready to go home? Let me see your hand. I saw one little hand back there. Two hands right here. <laughs> Slap that person that raised their hand. Everybody say spirit, spirit. Flesh, flesh, devil level. Devil and if you don't watch it, see, condemnation is a spirit. And its goal is to keep you focused on what you've done for so long, it erodes your confidence towards God. But when you know what the blood did for you, and you know the process of confessing your sins, which is real easy, and that is just saying, Lord, forgive me. You don't have to walk in condemnation no more. And so, you know, for those of you who haven't heard the story, I haven't said it in a while anyway. You know, years ago, a couple of years ago, how many years have been now? Two and a half? Praise the Lord. Two and a half years ago. Everybody say two and a half years ago. Two and a half years ago, Pastor Evan used to pick up the church mail and get coffee every morning. That was just my, I'm a very traditional, disciplined do the same thing person. That's just me. You can just, you can just watch me and I do the same thing every morning. And so I go to the, you know, the mail place and then get me some coffee. And so th- they knew my name in there because I got the same thing every day. I'd go in there and, hey, Evan, how you doing? I'd walk in there and then I'd order the same thing. I'd order a caramel macchiato with extra, extra. Come on, class. Extra, extra. extra. 
extra caramel in it because I like caramel. They would charge me extra for the caramel. No big deal. I wanted it. I paid for it. So this particular morning, I walked in. Everybody, you know, speak to me. And then I noticed the guy fixing the coffee. I, I didn't know him. This is my first time seeing him. So I was like, I wonder who that is. So I go up to the counter. He fixes my coffee for me. And I ain't going to leave till I taste it because those coffee cups are almost $4. So I drink the coffee and taste it. And it just didn't taste right. I just needed a little bit more caramel. So I go up to the counter. I say, excuse me, sir. May I have some more caramel? He said, no. You need to get back in line and pay for some more if you want some more. Yeah, yeah, right. I thought he was joking. I started laughing. <laughs> I feel you, I feel you. And I left my cup up there. One person go by, two person go by, three person go by, and I notice he ain't giving me no karma. So I go back up to the counter. I said, excuse me, sir. Did you hear me ask for some more karma? Then he loud talked me. Yes. And you need to get back in line and pay for some more if you want some more. Everybody say spirit. spirit. Flesh. So I'm at the flesh level. No, I'm not at the devil level right now. No. I'm just at the flesh. I'm at the flesh. I'm at the flesh. And I'm like, so I started arguing with I pulled my receipt out. I said, excuse me, sir. I paid for extra karma. I don't care. You need to get back in line. And so we started arguing about why he needs to give me some more karma. So finally, he saw that I was not going to give up. Because if I paid for it, hot diggity dog, I'm going to get it. <laughs> so that coffee, so fine. He was like, fine. So he takes the cup. And he puts the caramel in the cup. And all he had to do was really just squeeze it like this. He didn't do that. He did like this. And it wasn't until I saw that caramel go on the side of that cup, I went to the devil level. Mayday, mayday, mayday. Somebody help the pastor. Help him, help him, help him, help him, help him. He needs help right now. First thought came to my mind, dashing with the coffee. And I did it. Deuce. And he was shocked like some of y'all looking. And I was shocked too. I was like, ah, I can't believe I did that. It was like in slow motion too. You know, I threw it. It was like. And then it just hit his chest. Boosh. His chest was just steaming. It was brown. And I was just looking at him. And he was looking at me. He was shocked. But you know what it's like when you sin, right? You're going to have to ask for forgiveness so you might as well finish. Right? I'm just being honest with you. I said, well, he got the coffee. He might as well get the cup. <laughs> that cup cooked. <laughs> he was like, sir, you didn't have to do that. I was like, well, you didn't have to treat me like that. Touch your neighbor. Say, neighbor, I don't believe he did that. Now, I did apologize to the man. I tried to. Because, of course, they kicked me out of the Starbucks. So I took one of my men who's in this room right now. I'm not going to look at him. I took him with me because he's prone to fighting. I wanted him to see me apologize and humble myself. I'm the pastor, right? So after about two weeks of being badgered by my wife, some of my pastoral friends, 
and staff, you need to go and apologize because I was not going to go and apologize to that man. He deserved that coffee. <laughs> Finally, I went in there. And I go in there. And as soon as I walk in, because I'm not supposed to be in there. As soon as I walk in, <laughs> no, I'm banned from this, this Starbucks. So if you want to have coffee with me, I can't go to the one right here in Mansfield. Can't go to that one. Can't go to that one. I, I, they don't have a drive through I can't go in that one. So here it was. I'm sitting there, and uh, I walk in, and the first thing they do, I notice that they pick up the phone. And they dial three numbers. What numbers do you think they dial? Nine, that wasn't information. 911. So I asked them, I said, Excuse, they said, well, sir, may we help you? I said, well, I'm, I'm here to, to, to speak to the manager. So they went back there and told him. Then they came back out. They said, he don't want to come out. <laughs> I said, well, I just want to apologize to him. So he wouldn't let me do that. But here's my point. I know that was funny. But you know what? If I didn't have the forgiveness factor down, I'd let the devil beat me up with that. And my question to you is, what are you letting the devil beat you up on? Because whether you know it or not, the blood of Jesus was strong enough to remove any condemnation you ever walked in. And can I tell you a secret about sin? About sin? When you ask God to forgive you and you mean it, you ain't got to feel the forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling with God, it's a decision. And some of you all are going back and forth, back and forth. God, what did I do? What did I do? I did this, I did this. And God don't know what you're talking about because the first time you ask him to forgive you, he did it. So the cross is a confidence creator. This is an understanding that what Jesus did for us is permanent. I'm not going to lose my salvation because what he did, he did it permanently. Communion, that's why we take it, because this is knowing that forgiveness for my sins has been guaranteed by the blood. And that's why he said, do this in remembrance of me. Consistent fellowship with God and others is something else that brings and creates confidence. Because this is knowing that walking in love towards God and other people keeps my heart in a state of confidence and peace. And then confessing our sins on a consistent basis. Helps you to maintain confidence with God. And then last but not least, clearing the past in your mind. The Bible says, forget those things which are behind and press. There are some people here today, you don't even feel you should be remarried because you've been married before. Can I tell you something? <laughs> well, go ahead. That's what he said. <laughs> God is bigger than that last divorce you had. The blood of Jesus is stronger than any sin you could ever commit. And I want you to walk out this morning with some confidence. And the confidence is not in what you did or didn't do yesterday. The confidence is in the blood. What can wipe away my sins? <laughs> Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Were you blessed this morning by the word? Every head bow and every eye closed. You may be here this morning.